I'm Chip Granditz. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, December 12th, 2017. Coming up, in the modern world, where we know that all animals need gut microbes to be healthy, we have the curious case of the missing gut microbes. Gut microbes are missing in healthy caterpillars, and maybe even healthy bats and panda bears. We begin with a look at a recent news story in science. The incidence of liver cancer has doubled in the last 20 years, mostly in prosperous nations, which are also more prone to obesity and diabetes, plus a condition known as fatty liver. In fatty liver, fat builds up in and around the liver, and this can lead uh, to liver tumor cells that can become cancerous and then thrive on many normal nutrients, including fats. All these problems seem to start after the liver becomes a fatty liver. But what causes the fatty liver? Well, new research from scientists at the University of Geneva Basel and MD Anderson say one culprit is a signaling pathway in the body known as mTOR. Well, mTOR stands for mammalian target of rapamycin. I'll call it mTOR from here on. In mouse models, the researchers have demonstrated that if mTOR levels get too high, then the liver tends to turn more nutrients, such as sugar, into fats. So a fatty liver, although originally in a benign condition, ends up stimulating the production of certain lipids. Uh, In other words, becomes even more fatty, and these lipids become a handy energy supply for tumor cells that develop into into full-blown liver cancer. This research has just been published in the journal cancer cell. And by the way, high levels of mTOR are also themselves associated with higher rates of cancer. And while an effective drug may someday settle down an overactive mTOR pathway to prevent tumor development, it may be worth noting that reducing protein intake to, quote, adequate levels also helps lower mTOR levels. In most prosperous countries, people tend to eat more protein than they need. You're tuned to How on Earth, KGNU Science Show. I'm Chip Granditz. If you are a science or health enthusiast, you probably already know that animals have microbes in their guts. This is a new field of exploration, and top researchers emphasize that we need to learn much more before making any blanket statements about the total effect of the gut microbiome. Nevertheless, it has become all the rage to advocate specific diets to eat for the sake of a healthy gut microbe, and then to assume that all animals need gut microbes. Well, that's one reason the research from CU CU Boulder evolutionary biologist Toby Hammer is so fascinating. Hammer has discovered a number of animals that probably don't need microbes in their guts, 
ranging from some insects to some animals as large as, well, a panda bear. For more, here's How on Earth's Shelley Schlender, who recorded an interview with Toby Hammer in a noisy gut microbe analysis lab at CU Boulder. Well, Toby Hammer, pretty much everybody knows that we have microbes in our gut. And the general idea is that we have to have them to be healthy. Yep. But you found some animals that are perfectly healthy without microbes. Right. Which is weird, because I think we tend to extrapolate from ourselves to every other animal that's out there and assume that if we depend on microbes for our own health, then so does everything else. But not all animals work like we do. It was really surprising to find this hugely diverse, abundant group of organisms that doesn't seem to need microbes. What kind of animals don't need microbes in their guts? Caterpillars. Every caterpillar? We weren't able to sample every species of caterpillar because there are something like 180,000. We were able to sample 124, which was a pretty broad swath of caterpillar diversity. It's still only a very minor fraction of all the caterpillars that that are out there, but it seems like it's a general thing for for caterpillars. All of the caterpillars you sampled, none of them needed microbes in their guts. That's what it looked like from the data, yeah. Do they have any microbes in their guts anyway? There are some microbes. So, you know, they're eating leaves, Leaves have lots of microbes, both on the surface and inside of them, bacteria, fungi, other types of microorganisms. So they're eating the leaves and they're ingesting microbes. And those are still present as that material goes through their digestive tract. So you can get microbes out of their gut, but they're very low abundance. They don't seem to be actually colonizing inside the gut and or doing anything for the caterpillar. They're just kind of transiently passing through. How do you know the bugs don't need those bugs? (laughs) Um, A couple of different lines of evidence. So one is that they seem to be too low abundance. Talking about the the germs, the bugs within the bugs. They're they're too sparse to be important for the metabolism of the caterpillar, even if they were active and doing things. Um, Typically for for animals that we know rely on microbes, like humans, Um, or aphids, termites, um, cows, they have a really rich, dense community of microbes. Caterpillars, they're very low abundance. And it varies with the caterpillar and what they've been eating, perhaps? It seems to be totally driven by how many microbes were on the food they're eating. So if they're eating leaves that have a lot of microbes on them, there are a lot of microbes, there is a correspondingly high number of microbes in their gut. And if they're eating very clean leaves, they have a very clean gut. Well, how do you know that they don't need the fungi? Did you, did you map right. the fungi? It's possible. We were focusing on bacteria because of the microbes that are present, there are more bacteria than fungi. And that may be because there are more bacteria on the leaves they were eating than fungi. We weren't specifically focusing on fungi, but they have a very low uh, amount of um, fungi in their guts as well. So it wasn't just because fungi are much harder to analyze than microbes. You just said, there's just not enough of this stuff. Exactly. And a number of people have um, looked at caterpillar guts under the microscope 
and no one has reported seeing fungi colonizing the gut. Um, so that's another indication that there's probably, at least for these caterpillars that we looked at, nothing going on with, with fungi. Although we do have lots of fungi, but um, that doesn't seem to be the case for caterpillars. Now, Toby Hammer, we're in a world right now where it has been pretty much assumed once we discovered that we have a microbiome in our gut, mm -hmm. that if you're an animal, no matter how big or small, that's made of more than one cell, mm -hmm. you've got to have microbes in your mm -hmm. gut to be healthy. Mm -hmm. And I think that assumption comes from the fact that these cases of animals that don't need microbes to be healthy, those cases often don't get reported in the literature, and so we don't hear about them. Do you think other people have observed this, but thought, well, gee, Nobody's going to believe me. Yeah, so there are def there are other published examples of animals, non-caterpillar animals that have independently converged on this kind of lifestyle of not needing microbes. They haven't gotten a whole lot of attention. Wait a second here. You're saying that in addition to caterpillars not needing microbes in their guts, there's some other animals that don't seem to need microbes in their guts? Yeah. So there are um, papers on other types of herbivorous insects. That's an insect that feeds on plant material. Grasshoppers? That's an example of an herbivorous insect. Is it just the insects? Well, there are other animals out there. For example, there's a, paras a microscopic parasitic worm where it's been reported that they have zero bacteria whatsoever. And what we found in our study um, was we happened to look at um, uh, geese, and bats, and they also had a very low abundance of microbes in their guts. You mean it's not just the little animals like the insects, it, it could be bats that are a little bit bigger and geese that are pretty big. It could be larger animals, vertebrates, in addition to caterpillars, um, which I think is really interesting. The intriguing thing is that these particular vertebrates, bats, geese, their gut physiology is similar to that of caterpillars in some ways, so they have a fairly short and simple digestive tract. It's not really long and coiled like ours is, for example. The transit through the gut, so food to defecation, the transit time is really quick, also like caterpillars. Um, and so it may be kind of a caterpillar-like example from the, the vertebrate world. How did you decide to look for microbes in the guts of caterpillars and start saying to yourself, maybe we should check to see if they even need these little bits of microbes? I started this project from the perspective that all animals need microbes, so clearly caterpillars would too. But why haven't there been loads and loads of papers looking at the caterpillar gut microbiome? Because these are you know, really abundant, and scientifically popular insects. A lot of people have looked at other aspects of caterpillar biology, but there hadn't really been any clear demonstrations of the importance of gut microbes to caterpillars. So I thought, oh, this will be a great opportunity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the caterpillar gut microbiome. Um, and it was only until after we started getting the data in that I was thinking, well, maybe this is actually going to turn out very differently from what I was expecting going into it. You kind of said, wait a second, the best explanation may be that they don't need these microbes. It took me a while to get to that explanation because 
I just thought that I was screwing up the analyses or something, or that there was something wrong. You know, the weird thing is in the lab with our DNA sequencing um, procedure, it's very sensitive. So if you drop one aphid, which aphids have lots of bacterial symbionts, you drop one aphid in a tube or like a tiny speck of human feces in a tube, you get tons and tons of microbial DNA. Caterpillar feces, you can cram these tubes full of it and you get very little microbial DNA. So I thought that I was doing something wrong, but it took me a while to kind of come around to this alternate explanation. Well, maybe there just aren't a lot of microbes in there and maybe caterpillars don't need them. Were you a little bit apprehensive when you first went to your fellow researchers and said, I don't think the caterpillars need microbes in their guts. I, I, was, I was pretty apprehensive because, um, again, I was under this assumption that everything needs microbes. And so how could it be possible to have this animal that doesn't need microbes? It must, there must be something, there must be some other explanation. Um, and it wasn't until I went back to earlier literature in, from the pre-microbiome era where other people have pretty much said the same thing. So the interesting thing is that um, other researchers have said similar things before, but at that time it wasn't particularly interesting because that was before the microbiome became really hot and we had this um, idea that microbiomes rule the animal world. But now that kind of default assumption has changed. So now I think it's unique and interesting to have an animal that doesn't need a microbiome. How long ago was the research done that indicated that some animals don't need a microbiome in their gut? Some of it goes back decades. So one example is Paul Buchner wrote this tome about microbial symbiosis in animals focused on insects, covering lots of different groups of insects. So this came out in the 50s. Oh, in the 1950s, yeah. somebody already knew this. The funny thing is there's this giant tome and there's only like one sentence where it just mentions kind of offhand that, oh, by the way, Lepidoptera, they don't seem to have symbionts. It, it wasn't quite as clear of a statement. I guess um, he didn't realize this was going to be a big deal someday. I think at that time it wasn't interesting to have insects that don't need symbionts. He was focused on the insects that do have these kind of intimate, interdependent microbial interactions. And so the animals that don't have those are kind of boring and let's ignore them. Um, but now we go back and say, hey, wait, that is interesting to have animals that don't have these microbial um, interdependencies. Why would some animals not need microbes in their gut? Microbes. So mm -hmm. let's compare a caterpillar to a termite that right. needs tons right. of microbes in its gut. Termites are feeding on wood. It's very difficult to digest. Termites haven't figured out how to completely break down and extract energy from wood on their own with their own enzymes, so they rely on microbes to be able to do that. You mean a termite would die if it did not have microbes in its gut? It would starve? Yes. And so people have done experiments where if you treat termites with antibiotics or mess with their gut microbiome in some way, then they die. Caterpillars, on the other hand, they're eating leaf material, which we often think 
is difficult to digest and low in nutrients and so forth. Sometimes it has lots of nasty chemical compounds. And so there's often an assumption that herbivores in general need microbes to help deal with, with those challenges. But there's also been a lot of work by physiologists who have looked at caterpillar digestion and figured out, hey, they, there's all these ways that caterpillars are able to digest the fiber, extract nutrients, detoxify these um, nasty chemicals on their own. So they don't seem to need microbes to be able to make a living off leaves. So if you don't need microbes, why have them in their gut? Because there are costs to hosting a gut microbiome in your body. There are costs. Yeah, and so I wouldn't say that there's a lot known about what those costs are, how big they are, because there's a tendency to focus on the benefits. And often in this microbiome literature, it's kind of a very happy mutualism between uh, us and our microbes, and we're both benefiting each other and everything's great. So there's a tendency to focus on the positives, but not on the costs of having this, you know, trillions of microbes in our body. You mean it's not just all kumbaya? Exactly. So with the caterpillars, there are these costs that, if you don't need microbes, um, kind of shift that balance toward, well, I'm just not going to have microbes to begin with. Let's talk about some of the costs then. If, some, if a creature has microbiomes that are not benefiting it, mm -hmm. what is it losing? You end up sharing some of your nutrients with microbes. You mean they're like the mafia? They have to take a take of what well, you're doing? They've got to grow, and some of the, their growth benefits you. You know, they help break down part of your food, and you get some of those nutrients, but you also lose a lot of that microbial biomass. So they tax you. There's a tax, exactly. It's important to think about human digestion. Almost all of the microbial action is in your lower intestine. And the easy nutrients, like the simple sugars and so forth, get absorbed in your small intestine before the food reaches all that microbial activity going on in your lower intestine. Oh, so you're pointing out that for us, the tax is not as evil as it might be for a creature with simpler digestion where from the moment the food comes in, if there were microbes in that digestive tract, the microbes would be slurping up stuff that that creature might need. Exactly. And when food material is defecated along with microbes, you don't get any of those nutrients anymore. Unless you're something like a rabbit, which re-ingests some of its fecal pellets. Let's... Well, that's right. Rabbits and those cute little pikas yep. up high in the mountains. Yep they have to eat their little tidy little pellets yep. to extract a little bit more nutrient. Right, so they're, di they're digesting some of the microbes that grew in their gut to get that, that protein back. But caterpillars, for example, don't do that. So there's no way to access those nutrients once they're lost. Well, let's look at cows. Cows eat leaves, so mm -hmm. why do they have microbes in their gut? I think there's an interesting difference in the strategy, the digestive strategy of something of a ruminant like a cow versus a caterpillar. So for something like a cow, they are really efficiently breaking down that plant material and getting as much as they can. And to do that requires microbes to ferment the fiber because 
we can't do that on our own. We as in animals, we can't do that on our own. Um, at least not as thoroughly as um, the microbes can. Caterpillars, on the other hand, their strategy is to eat as much as possible and process it um, not very thoroughly. And so they don't need microbes to really ferment that fiber and get as much energy as they can out of it. Instead, they're just eating and eating and then just defecating it out with a lot of that fiber intact. Okay, so, so cattle, they're kind of farmers of microbes. Yeah. They have, a, they have a whole group of microbes that they tend to, they feed their hay to their microbes, then their microbes digest the hay for them. Mm -hmm. And then they eat a combination of the energy that's the byproduct of what the microbes do, plus they digest the mm -hmm. microbes. Yes. The thing with caterpillars is if you imagine you're a caterpillar and you're on a large plant, it's kind of like an all-you-can-eat buffet. You're not limited by the amount of food available to you, but you are very vulnerable to being eaten by predators, parasites. So there's a lot of pressure to just develop as quickly as you can, get to the moth or butterfly stage where you're safe from those enemies. So you don't need to be a particularly efficient digester. Instead, you just want to grow really quickly and eat as much as you can. So they're kind of just shoveling food into their bodies, skimming the cream off of those leaves, and then just defecating the rest, moving on to the next bite of food. Okay, so that starts to make sense for why they might not extract every bit of nutrient out. Right. Like the pikas, where they live up high in the alpine areas, mm -hmm. they don't get very much food. Yep. So they have to get every bit of energy and nutrient right. they can. Exactly. Okay. And correspondingly, they have a gut microbiome. They have a gut microbiome. Whereas bats and geese don't seem to have a gut microbiome. Yep. If you've ever seen like a flock of Canada geese uh, in a park or on your campus, there is a lot of goose poop. It's the same with caterpillars. They're defecating very frequently because they're eating a lot and just not breaking much of it down. Canada goose poop, for example, there's a lot of intact plant material there because they haven't really thoroughly broken it down. Does this have applications to real life or is this just really fascinating without an application? Starting the project, when I was assuming that caterpillars would indeed have a gut microbiome that they would need for their health, I was envisioning important applications for pest management. And so starting the project, I thought, well, if they require microbes to consume leaves, then maybe we should be targeting the microbes to prevent them from eating our crops. But now it turns out that, well, if they don't need microbes, then maybe that avenue isn't going to be particularly promising. How does this affect us as humans, though, in terms of our concept? We've been told now, ever since the microbiome was became hot, mm -hmm. that gosh, everybody needs to have a diverse microbiome. Mm -hmm. I don't think that there are any humans that are similar to caterpillars in this way. Um, at least, not that I'm aware of. There's some hints from the literature that pandas, which are mammalian herbivores, might be similar to caterpillars in this respect. Uh, cats and dogs they do have a gut microbiome, as far as we can tell. Is it cats eating a regular cat chow mm -hmm. that is usually a grain-based cat chow? Mm -hmm. Because that's 
what we feed our cats mm-hmm. out of sacks. Right. Or is it a cat who eats mice mm-hmm. and voles right. and birds? Mm-hmm. So it's eating not corn and, right. and fiber. I'm sure that has huge effects on their gut microbiome, on what species of microbe are in their guts, how many of them there are, how important they might be in digesting that food. All of a sudden, there are these interesting questions about, what about this organism? What about that organism? And earlier, under this assumption that, well, everything has a microbiome, microbiome rules animals, you couldn't really ask that question. And now it's interesting that all of a sudden, there's, well, there's probably a lot more diversity among animals with respect to whether they have microbes. You're tuned to the KGNU Science Show, How on Earth. We've been listening to C.U. Boulder evolutionary biologist Toby Hammer. He's been describing his research regarding the curious case of the missing caterpillar microbiome. Thanks to Shelley Schlender for that interview. Well, that's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Beth Bennett. This week's show was produced by Shelley Schlender and engineered by me, Chip Granditz. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Leo Kotke. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Chip Granditz.